0: Thanks for meeting us again at the Canadian Breakpoint, a Canadian infectious disease podcast by infectious disease physicians. I'm Summer Stewart, back again with Rapina Purewal, pediatric infectious disease specialist. And for this episode, we welcome special guest Dr. Amita Singh, an infectious disease specialist from Edmonton, Alberta, for a discussion regarding the rising cases of syphilis in Canada. Dr. Purewal,
1: Welcome to another episode of our podcast at the Canadian Breakpoint. Today we'll be discussing a very important topic, syphilis and the current situation in many provinces in Canada. As you may all be aware, syphilis is a reportable sexually transmitted infection that's caused by the organism pallidum. Depending on the stage of syphilis in an individual, they are treated with a certain regimen. And the first line of treatment, especially in pregnancy and in pediatrics, is penicillin. Notably, if left untreated, syphilis has many complications and in all age groups. The risk factors are very similar to other sexually transmitted infections, but the alarming factor with syphilis is that we're seeing a steep increase in the number of cases in many provinces in Canada since 2014. Specifically, Alberta has shown us the greatest rise. Here in Saskatchewan, we've had an exponential increase in the last few years and specifically concerning that congenital syphilis has also increased and caused a rise in the number of stillbirths, hydrops vitalis, and other preventable complications in neonates. So today, we have a very special guest with us from Alberta who specializes in this area. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Amita Singh. Dr. Singh is an infectious diseases specialist and clinical professor with the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Her clinical practice and research areas of interest include bacterial, sexually transmitted infections, HIV, biomedical prevention, and rapid diagnostic tests for syphilis and HIV. So thank you, Dr. Singh. We look forward to hearing from you about your thoughts on this topic. Thank you for having me. Perfect. So why don't we start with just discussing the situation currently in Alberta in regards to the syphilis outbreak.
2: Sure. So um, you're probably aware that in 2019, our chief medical officer of health um, declared a syphilis outbreak in Alberta after seeing uh, syphilis rates in the province um, rising fold and the highest rates seen since 1948. And despite the COVID pandemic, that trend continued in 2020, um, even though Um, I understand that there has been decreased testing um, following the onset of the pandemic.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: We had a record number of cases, 2,500 infectious syphilis cases in the province in 2020. And sadly um, 135 infants born with congenital syphilis um, with about 30 infants who died as a consequence of congenital syphilis. So very um, alarming to see that, happen here in Alberta and, of course,
1: appearing to continue um, uh, into 2020. Yeah, for sure. Definitely seeing an increase there. So why do you think this is an issue in the Prairie Provinces specifically or in Alberta? Or do you think it is limited to that?
2: Um, We do seem to be seeing the highest rates of infectious syphilis in the Prairie Provinces. And, um, you know, if we look at the cases um, to try to understand why that is happening, um, it is very clear that Indigenous persons, particularly those of First Nations ethnicity, are disproportionately affected. And we know that um, Edmonton, for example, which has the highest number of cases uh, in Alberta, um, has the second highest urban. Uh, population of First Nations and Métis persons, Um, and so that's definitely, um, unfortunately, the individuals who are being affected. Um, If we look at the breakdown of the cases, we see that about half of the cases are among females, and um, usually of childbearing age, And many of those women are affected by multiple social determinants of health, including um, homelessness, poverty, um, addictions and mental health problems. Um, Also, um, I think another thing that we have observed in the last few years um, in the Prairie Provinces is a significant rise in the use of methamphetamines Mm -hmm. and methamphetamines, as you know, are drugs that act as stimulants, and they also increase the sex drive and uh, disinhibit behavior and makes it more likely um, for people to engage in unprotected um, sexual behavior that puts them at risk for syphilis. So um, we're actually in the process of taking a closer look at the link between uh, stimulant drug use and syphilis in our province. But just uh, anecdotally, um, I really feel that that is a very strong component of what is happening uh, or part of the explanation for what is happening with infectious syphilis, certainly in Alberta um and uh we have heard that uh, many of the women are trading sex for drugs um and um this is the unfortunate consequence
1: yeah it's a very difficult situation i mean it's definitely multifactorial um mm-hmm. in terms of management wise and yes So currently with, I mean, we're here in Saskatchewan having, um, I think from 2018, we've had a six fold increase in our syphilis cases and it goes along with other sexually transmitted infections. So we've seen a rise in our other sexually transmitted infections since kind of the, um, methamphetamine, um, numbers have increased as well. Um, so in terms of, provinces facing this obstacle. I know that you're currently involved in a point of care study um, regarding syphilis testing. Um, so can you talk a little bit about kind of what brought you to kind of start this study in Alberta specifically and kind of the design and the model and and maybe some of the other provinces um, you know can get some input from you in regards to that?
2: Yes, for sure. So, you know, with the observation that many of our cases are street involved um, and um, have pretty significant mistrust of the traditional healthcare system, um, when we first experienced a resurgence of infectious syphilis in the mid 2000s, an outreach team was formed in Edmonton, which includes Uh, registered nurses and uh, community health representatives and all of those community health representatives or aboriginal service workers as they're now called are indigenous and are have some lived experience as well and those um that team in my opinion has been invaluable in going out uh, literally onto the streets to, um, reach people and to offer testing and treatment right there. And then Mm -hmm. unfortunately that the COVID pandemic has put the brakes on that for now, but I'm, I'm really hoping that we will be able to resume those activities, um, very soon. Um, so the team, um, is able to go out into the community and they're able to do blood draws and to collect urine samples. And if people meet certain criteria, so for example, if they're named as a sexual contact to a known infectious case, or if they report symptoms um, suggestive of infectious syphilis, the team are able to offer treatment right there and then. So it may be in a community agency, for example, or in an inner city health clinic. And um, on some occasions, it's even been done in the individual's home or if they have some sort of um, enclosed um, situation. I remember um, several years ago going out with our outreach team and actually reaching people who are living in tents in the River Valley here in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is possible and feasible to do this. One of my wish lists for many years has been for us to have a mobile van that would make this a lot easier. For sure. For a number of logistical reasons, we haven't been able to do that. So, um, all that being said, um, we came to realize that. Um, although we could offer blood draws and urine tests, it would then take up to a week for those test results to come back. And then it would be very difficult to find those individuals, especially if they didn't have a fixed address. And so this is where I think point of care tests are invaluable. Not only do we have the opportunity to test and treat right there and then, um, but we, um, also, uh, you know, prevent ongoing complications if you are able to test and treat immediately, and prevent mother-to-child transmission as well as prevent transmission to partners. So right. um, this began the search, I guess, for a good syphilis test. Um, there are a number of uh, syphilis tests on the global market. Um, a little over ten years ago, we did try uh, one test in the field, but unfortunately. Um, That test did not work very well for us because it took too long, and by too long I mean that it took about 20 to 25 minutes, but for (laughs) truly field use that wasn't very practical. Mm-hmm. Um and um, so and our field staff were not supportive of that because it was also a little bit cumbersome to perform in the field. Right. And so we never moved ahead with that. So you know, fast forward now 10 to 15 years later, um, we're an even worse syphilis um, outbreak situation. And so I, I once again had a look at the uh, available tests on the global market and came across two tests that uh, could provide test results in under five, under five minutes. Okay. So, of course, that was very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, both happened to be made by Canadian companies, one in Vancouver, Biolitical, and one in Halifax, MedMira. And uh, with the support from the companies, as well as the support um, from REACH Um we were able to obtain funding and to develop a study so we have implemented that study and uh, our goal was to enroll about 1500 participants mm-hmm. and we're currently just under halfway in terms of enrollment we had actually hoped to complete enrollment within six to seven months but then the pandemic hit and we mm-hmm. had to put uh, and, and so the um, continuing the study has been very slow Um, but I am hoping that we will be able to complete the study by the end of the year. Um, The preliminary results um, suggest that both test kits perform very well in the field using finger prick whole blood specimens. And we have been able to offer point of care uh, testing as well as treatment to all individuals. And very interesting, we've picked up a number of new cases Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, we, uh, have been able to offer treatment to everyone, um, immediately if they so wish. And what has been interesting to me is that everyone that we've offered point of care treatment to has accepted that. Um, so we explain, you know, the potential benefits of treatment, but also the small potential risks. Um, which include, of course, anaphylaxis and uh, providing treatment that wasn't necessary. And despite that, most people have gone ahead with treatment um, provided there and then. Um, the vast majority of our testing has been done by um, one of our uh, part of notification nurses who works at the Edmonton Remand Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is another um, setting where we have had very high. Um, rates of loss to follow-up after standard serologic test results come back. In fact, we've lost about 20 to 30% of people testing positive. And so this has been fantastic um, for use in that setting.
1: Perfect. So the primary outcome then of your study um, would be to compare Uh, the point of care test to standard testing. So do all these individuals then get serological testing done simultaneously? That's
2: correct. So we were, we are doing standard serologic testing simultaneously. And, um, you know, we also inform patients up front that there is a chance you could have a false positive result and be treated unnecessarily, or you could have a false negative results because we do expect that finger prick whole blood specimens will be less sensitive than a serum specimen sent to the lab. Right. Um, and, um, so that they may, I, a either way we ask people to follow up, um, mm-hmm. after, um, the standard test results are available. But as I mentioned, not all of those individuals will necessarily return for follow-up.
1: Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the limitations that we have with syphilis is, I mean, there's a number of factors like loss of follow-up, contact tracing. So if something like this is in the picture where we have a point of care test and you've already treated, at least we've, you know, kind of eliminated some of the other risks of transmission then to partners. And if there is loss to follow-up, then, you know, if they've received treatment, at least there's that safety component that you've already given them the treatment, Um, so I think for some of our northern populations even here in Saskatchewan we're having a lot of difficulty with access to care so I think if reaching out to them and doing the point of care like you mentioned or even doing the mobile vans um, and mobile clinics is probably a good step stepping stone for this for sure
2: yes yes no and uh, you know um, the the trouble uh, one of the um, things that has been suggested may be a barrier to testing though with the mobile van as you know if you say it's an STI <laughs> right <laughs> although we found that uh, um, you know so if it could be um, offered together with other um, measures so for example immunizations or right. I don't know other kind of checks like routine checks, doing blood pressure Mm -hmm. or glucose or something like that, then perhaps it might be more acceptable.
1: So there are a number of things that would need to be taken into consideration there for sure. Yeah. And I know there was, you know, there's a huge stigma behind some of the other STIs that we deal with such HIV. So I'm sure with syphilis, we kind of have similar um, similar kind of feelings and emotions regarding, you know, um, the stigma behind it. So, yes, now that's very
2: interesting because I've personally felt um, that it is so incredibly important to do HIV testing mm-hmm. um, because HIV testing not only affects how syphilis presents and evolves if it remains untreated, but also how we follow up after treatment that I personally think that HIV testing should be considered an essential component of syphilis testing. And um, we've tried to present it that way. When offering testing to patients, you know, just say to them, you know, this is what we're testing you for, for STIs, we're doing syphilis, HIV, gonorrhea and chlamydia in the hopes that eventually, we will start to normalize HIV testing. Um, in the same way and to hopefully reduce some of that stigma that unfortunately, as you mentioned, continues to be in place.
1: Definitely. That's a great. Yes. And
2: so, you know, I I didn't mention that uh, we did choose to do um, a dual testing Mm -hmm. with syphilis and HIV. And so both of our test kits offer testing for both syphilis and HIV. And um, I can tell you that that did create some concerns with our ethics board
1: right. um,
2: and with the communities as well. But after I explained my rationale for, for doing this um, and, uh, you know, people do have the option to opt out completely, um, but in fact, our, we've, we've not observed anyone opting out um, because we've had this combination
1: of tests. No, it's fair. Yeah. And uh, once they receive the point of care test, is it so very similar to kind of the uh, previous HIV point of care test that we've had in place where it gives you yes, a positive or negative? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's
2: almost identical. One of the companies um, that makes the dual syphilis HIV test mm-hmm. um, has the only Health Canada approved HIV test in Canada. And it is a fantastic test. I was involved back in the mid 2000s when the test kit first was re- rolled out in Canada and helped to set up the point of care program for HIV in Alberta at that time. And we yes. were involved with the initial evaluations. And it is, it is an almost identical test kit, except that it also includes the syphilis component and it is extremely user friendly, um, very fast. In fact, most of the test results are under a minute and it Mm -hmm. is so user friendly that the um, company together with help from REACH has um, been able to implement HIV self-testing so that individuals can obtain test kits from various community organizations and perform the test on themselves. So
1: wow, it, it is, it is a
2: fantastic kit and I'm really hopeful that
1: it will work well for syphilis as well. Wow. Oh, that's really good to hear. Um, in terms of sensitivity and specificity, uh, for the assays that we're currently testing in your study, um, are there certain variables that this, the companies themselves have released, or is that something that you're also kind of comparing and is that one of your outcomes that you're measuring?
2: Yeah, So there is some preliminary data for both test kits and for the biological test kit, the preliminary data suggests that the sensitivity is lower with uh, infectious syphilis cases where the RPR titer is less than or equal to one in eight dilutions. Okay. Um, uh, but it seems to perform very well with high titer RPR um, cases. Um, So with that in mind, um, we prior to rolling out the study, um, I had a look at all of the cases, the infectious syphilis cases in the province, and about 70% of the cases at diagnosis had an RPR titer, which was reactive at one in eight dilutions or higher. So we anticipate that the vast majority of cases would be picked up on the point of care test. Um, the Medmira test has um, even less data, but the sensitivity does look pretty reasonable um, from fingerprint whole blood specimens. But yes, that is the primary objective of this particular study, which uh, we've uh, we've coined the acronym POSH for point Mm -hmm. of care tests for syphilis and HIV. So for the POSH study, the primary objective is to look at the performance, primarily the sensitivity, specificity, and negative and positive predictive values um, as compared to standard serologic tests. Perfect.
1: All right. Well, I think that's um, a great initiative because I think one of the Biggest drawbacks with syphilis testing is the turnaround time that we're having yes. with the serological testing, and and you know a lot of centers that are dealing with outbreaks I think have the initiative to kind of test and treat and then await results, kind of similar to our other STIs such as gonorrhea or chlamydia. Um, but again, if you know for for the patient as well and for the provider who's administering the therapy, if we can have a point of care test that, you know, that can weigh in on that decision, I think. uh, And and if you're saying it's less than, you know, five minutes or even less than a minute, you can get those results back. I think that's uh, definitely something that would be helpful for decision-making clinical decision-making as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what obstacles I know COVID has been probably the biggest obstacle in all of (laughs) Um, yes, (laughs) basically in all, in all time, (laughs) in all life. Yeah, exactly. So definitely none of us have gone through kind of something similar, um, in our lives. So I think it's definitely brought in a lot of obstacles for access to care, even in just general, um, day-to-day care, um, and definitely with our sexually transmitted infections. Um, but what other obstacles do you feel that we face right now with this current to manage the syphilis outbreak at this time?
2: Yes, well, maybe maybe I'll uh, discuss a little bit some of the obstacles with the point of care study. Sure. Um, so um, yes, indeed, the, the pandemic was an issue and we won't go there. But um, in terms of the actual test kits, I, I think that uh, one of the challenges um, that we experienced initially when training the staff is that Uh, people had the notion or preconceived notion that these test kits, you know, it's, it's just like buying a pregnancy test over Mm -hmm. the counter and you just dip it in the urine and away you go. But unfortunately there is a little bit more to it with these particular test kits Um, and not in least part because the quality assurance of the test kits is absolutely critical. So for example, um, to make sure that you know when the test kits are received from uh, the company, mm-hmm. um, we have had each batch of test kits evaluated by our provincial lab, um, and they they will test sort of randomly test a few kits just to make sure that they're performing as expected, and um, and then um, and only then do we uh, have them distributed to the sites. Now, the the reason that this is important, and we haven't experienced any problems in this particular study, but another study that I'm involved with in um, Nunavut, um, there was an issue when the test kits were shipped out in the winter time, and they did not perform as well, and we were. You know ha- having some concerns about some of the results there were in fact were a number of false positives and it turned out that the issue there was that the test kits had frozen in transport mm-hmm. and had stopped working as expected and so that's just kind of one very important piece Um, But even after the um, with our particular study, we experienced a bit of an issue after receiving the test kits and distributing them, because a small proportion of one of the company's test kits had inadequate buffer in one of the bottles um, that you mix the uh, blood specimen into. And so um, we actually had to return that batch of test kits and receive a new supply. But that was only identified, you know, after the first few tests were done.
1: Okay. Um,
2: and we were able to identify that as an issue. And then the third big problem that we experienced is that, you um, we were not aware that, so we spent a lot of time focusing on the training about syphilis and the study protocols and how to actually perform the test kits. And when we did the training with the test kits, um, we mostly did that with stored sera. So, Mm -hmm. that people could see what the positive test results look like and the negative test results look like. But we had not spent much time focusing on how to actually do and collect the finger finger stick whole blood specimens. So, that was a bit of a learning curve for us. And we actually had to go back and seek um, some additional training, not only for ourselves as the investigators, but then to make sure that are in all of our study staff were retrained in that finger stick whole blood collection um, right. process. So those were just some learnings and I, and I wish that we had known this before all this before we started, I guess, right <laughs> um, just to try to make it a bit smoother with the rollout. But I think now that we're, we're up and running um, we, we have
1: a well-oiled machine. Nice. That's great to hear. No, that's great. So you've talked a little bit about the limitations, and I think um, the strengths of your study is something that we also want to touch on. So um, how do you feel with the kind of the strengths of the study and how this information that we gather from this posh study, um, how it will help your the syphilis outbreak in Alberta?
2: Yeah. so in terms of the strengths of the study, um, we have managed to include a number of sites in the Edmonton zone, as well as in some of our Northern communities.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I think we have fairly good um, distribution um, in terms of use of the test kits or potential for use of the test kits. And then also, um, you know, at different settings um, to because one of the things we will also be assessing is the test user experience with this. Um, and we'll be able to take a look at how the user ex- uh, experience in terms of the volume that they've done affects their experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so I think that that is one of the strengths of our study, though, that we tried to identify sites based on where the problem was happening. Right. Um, and so um, that that is continuing. Um, in terms of where we're hoping to go with this, I am really hoping that our Study data will be used by both companies, um, assuming that the data shows or confirms that both test kits uh, do have value for point of care testing for syphilis, that they will then apply for Health Canada approval so mm-hmm. that we no longer have to go through a research type of process to use these test kits in Candor to use it in, in an off-label capacity, because that does pose additional challenges. As you know, it would be nice right. if we could simply buy the test kits, do all of the quality assurance and training and away we go and use them. But, but uh, the companies, neither of the companies has sufficient data on the performance of the test kits currently to apply for Health Canada
1: approval. Right. No, it's definitely definitely going through an ethics approval approach for every center is, is usually challenging. So I agree if we have kind of- It is
2: challenging and, and, yeah. I, and I will be the first to say that um, I tried, did try to persuade our ethics board that having a four page consent form was really not practical nor necessary. Right. Um, but that is what we have. Um, okay. We were able to make some progress though with the ethics board at the request of one First Nations community to um, allow for verbal consent. So allowing the testing provider to obtain consent from the person. Um, So that was, that was a little bit of progress. For sure. I think
1: there's, yeah. yeah. we do provide
2: everyone with a copy of the consent form should they wish to read it. Perfect.
1: Yeah. I think if there's anything that we can do to kind of limit the barriers to testing, uh, with syphilis, I mean that's always something that I think all provinces and all places are having. Clinicians are having challenges with. So uh, definitely, if you can have a streamlined process um, yes. like you have in place, that would be great. So currently, in our provinces um, in Saskatchewan, we've uh, you know introduced kind of the point of care testing as well, uh, similar to and as you're aware of, um, as part of the study as well. And so if a province would like to uh, be involved in the study, is that something um, that you guys are currently still offering in terms of um, needing eligibility and, and, and where you guys are with enrollment?
2: Well, that's an excellent question. So I did discuss this with um, our study team here.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And unfortunately we don't have the capacity to support Um, all of the paperwork requirements. So the Health Canada applications, as well as the ethics board requirements, particularly if there are study modifications. Right. So what I have done um, instead, I guess, is that I've offered up all of our documents for people to use. um, And the fact that we have Health Canada approval will just uh, make it easier for anyone else wishing to do this to obtain Health Canada approval, as well as we're happy to provide our ethics board approval, which could be used as well. Um, And the other thing that I have offered is my time, I guess, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to help to support um, training um, in any way,
1: if that would be helpful. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Singh. Um, So I guess, kind of ending off on the topic of advice. I mean, you're the expert and the specialist in this area. Um, you know, also being a clinician myself, I definitely kind of advocate always STI testing and including syphilis because we know that we're seeing these numbers and, and, you know, we always advocate for testing for all of the STIs and not picking and choosing. Cause we know that they usually, have a similar risk factors so what advice can you give to let's say family doctors out there or um, any clinicians really having first access um, in terms of testing and you know even if they don't have access right now to the point of care tests how they should go about a syphilis outbreak or any kind of expertise that you can give us because definitely the other provinces were drowning in our numbers as well and it's it's becoming quite an exponential increase here Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, no, I mean, that's an excellent question. And of course, it's always um, challenging because people have competing priorities. Right. But um, given what is happening with syphilis right now, particularly in the prairie provinces, I think it is really important that all providers have a heightened awareness Um, Of course, as you've mentioned, you know, you do and I do, but that's not good enough. We need everyone to be thinking about this possibility and to consider offering SDI testing as part of routine care. Um, And and I am a strong advocate for normalizing this testing. Um, You know, uh, most people are having sex, um, don't necessarily need to know the details Um, you're offering it in the same way that you would offer testing for diabetes or hypertension um, screening, I should say. And, um, you know, and if you're going to offer STI testing, do it as a package. So definitely do HIV syphilis uh, blood tests. And for certainly for for males and females, if you offer urine for gonorrhea and chlamydia, that is a pretty good basic STI screen. So, you know, it's just thinking about it. And then if people are presenting with weird symptoms that don't make sense, just Mm -hmm. about absolutely every any um, clinical manifestation you can ever think of or possibly conceive of has been caused by syphilis, as far as I can tell. Think about syphilis. And do a test. So, particularly patients presenting with changes in vision or neurological symptoms, including acute psychosis. Um, we've seen a number of cases like that where there've been delays in diagnoses. Um, right. You know, if individuals presenting with stroke-like symptoms or trouble walking that you wouldn't expect to have had a stroke, think about syphilis, right? Um, you
1: know, and uh, and and offer the testing. No, that's great advice for sure. Yeah. I think definitely the, um, name for syphilis is the mimicker of all other diseases. So I think, I think it's, uh, it's, it's done. It stood by its name for sure Uh, Till today. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, that's really great. Thank you so much for uh, giving us some input regarding your uh, point of care tests, the POSH study, um, your expertise is invaluable, um, honestly, like in terms of what we're experiencing right now, even with congenital syphilis is kind of what I'm seeing more of. Um, we're seeing two to three cases a week of presumed congenital syphilis. And there's, you know, these are preventable, uh, complications that, you know, it, it's almost, um, as a clinician, it's always, um, always difficult when you know something could have been prevented, um, and you're at the treatment phase. So I think awareness for sure regarding syphilis testing. And if we can kind of, Limit the barriers to testing with the point of care tests in place um, in the near future. I think uh, we'll be better on track uh, to manage these syphilis outbreaks, for sure. Definitely,
2: and and I guess last but not least is uh, continuing to pay attention to mm-hmm. the social determinants of health because until we fix the roots or attempt to address the root. Um, problems that are, that are, that is, the syphilis is just the tip of the iceberg of so many things that are happening right now um, that sure. we need to address, um, particularly in our First Nations population and to mm-hmm. work with those populations to figure out how best we can support their
1: needs. Oh, definitely. And thank you so much for all your help with this. And I think clinicians like yourself and your expertise have. Um, definitely revolutionized a lot of sexually transmitted infection diseases. And there's been a lot of changes that have occurred in the last decade or more. Um, and so hopefully we'll see um, some new revolutionary changes with uh, syphilis and its management. Yes. Thanks right. so much, Rupina. Yeah. Thanks a lot. It was very nice chatting with you. Yes, you too. Thank you for joining us on another episode of our podcast, The Canadian Breakpoint. Today, we discussed an important issue regarding the ongoing syphilis outbreak in Canada. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would like to thank Dr. Singh for taking the time to discuss the current situation in Alberta and other provinces, and for providing guidance and expertise with preventing and managing syphilis.
0: Thank you to Dr. Purewall and Dr. Singh, as well as Verity Pharmaceuticals, for their kind sponsorship. Follow us on Twitter at CABreakpoint and email us at thecanadianbreakpoint at gmail.com to suggest infectious disease topics or discussions you'd like to hear. We look forward to seeing you again at The Canadian Breakpoint.